If you will, we are finishing up a four-week series on the kingdom of God. We are finishing up a four-week series on the kingdom of God. And the reason we started this whole series is this idea that I believe that the thing that Jesus spoke about the most was the kingdom. A lot of pastors will say, oh, he talked about this a lot. He talked about this a lot. But the most that he talked about was the kingdom. And we are talking about the fact that in, in, in our world, we make the church so significant. The church is only a vehicle to get people into the kingdom. Where he is king of kings and lord of lords. And our process is this idea of understanding that we are sojourners. That as, yes, the people who live in America, yes, I understand my nationality. But God said that I'm now a part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That I'm a part of a kingdom that starts now and continues on for eternity. And so what we've been looking at is how do we, as people, bring this process about where we say, look, we want people to come into the kingdom. We want people to come into a place where they know they're a part of that. By the way, the verses today, if you need them, are in your version app. If you have that app, just go find underneath event, and you can get all the verses for today so you can follow along if you'd like to, by the way, in whatever version you like, all right? So in this concept of the kingdom of God, we are trying to finish this up And basically, we're just going to be in two passages today. The first passage is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through chapter 5, 16. Some of you guys know this is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it says this. Now, by the way, I I had a talk with Jocelyn. She goes, please be nice to me on all the names that I have to spell. So I'm going to be nice to her. Here we go. And he went throughout all Galilee, there we go, teaching them in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Think about this. He went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He is bringing in a new kingdom. That's what he was talking about. The good news is there's a new kingdom. And this new kingdom, as we know, is going to be filled with Jews and Gentiles, male, female, slaves free, Everyone gets access to this kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. I want to point out one thing about that word Decapolis. Do you know the person who told the Decapolis who then started searching out Jesus? It was a demon-possessed man who was living in the tombs that was bloody and naked. One guy. And Jesus goes, tell tell your family what I've done for you. And he goes, no, just my family. He says he told the Decapolis, which means he visited 10 cities and told what happened. Those people came searching for Jesus. So in this, as a great crowds followed him in Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and far and from beyond the Jordan. So these crowds are coming because he's doing something significant. He's healing people. Now, I'm going to challenge you with something here. We're going to turn over to chapter 5, verse 1. 
So seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, I need you to understand this. One of the things we need to know about Scripture is this. There are those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, and those Scriptures are for us most of the time. Very rarely do the things or the the commands of God, are they for what I would call those who are not believers. And by the way, it is wrong, listen to me, it is wrong for us as believers to impose on people something that they haven't agreed with. And so what happens is, is that in doing so, we try to say to people who haven't accepted Jesus or seen him as, we're like, well, you have to live this way. And they're going, why? Who says? Now, you need to know that the reason why the crowds were coming is because he was healing people. We just read that, right? They want to be healed. But that doesn't mean they were ready for the message. Do you understand that? Doesn't mean they were ready to have their, their, their lives changed in that. At this point, uh, we have another story. When he feeds the five, feeding of the 5,000, they were there because they were getting fed. Does that make sense? There's a big difference of wanting to be fed than stepping into that place where you're going, no, I'm all in and I've counted the costs and Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. And so what, when it says here that when the, his disciples came to him, what we're about to look at He is speaking to his disciples. And listen, the crowds are listening in. The crowds are listening in. That doesn't mean that by by them listening in, they don't want to become, and some will become his disciples. But when he is speaking to them, he is speaking to his disciples. And so we need to understand that when Jesus is speaking to us, we are the ones who have that message. And our job then is to turn around and take the message of the gospel of the kingdom to those who maybe are just listening in. You are being watched by those around you. You are the only Bible some of them will ever read. You are the only Jesus some of them will ever see. They don't have a desire. And by the way, we have a generation specifically this growing up who has no need for the church. And for us to act like that they're going to live by some rule system that the church had for generations in America is not true. The reality is, is they're called the de-church. They're not even coming to the church. But they're looking at us and they're saying, what's different about you? And they will ask questions and they will, they will come and say, wait a minute, what is unique about how you live? And our answer should be nothing except I've spent time with Jesus. I have heard from him, and I believe I have found truth in him. But this crowd is there because they want to be healed. He is speaking to his disciples, and there is a group listening in. Are we all on the same page? Here we go. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, he's teaching his disciples. Now, I'm going to show a scripture up here. This, by the way, is the Beatitudes, right? Now, I want you to see something. This is the Beatitudes. There's something intriguing about what I want to show you, though. It's verses 3 and verses 10. Verses 3 and verses 10 are what they call the present future tense, meaning it's true now and will be true in the future. Verses 4 through 9 are what they call future tense, meaning it's going to be true in the future. It's bracketed by verses 3 and 10. Are you guys with me? But notice what the, how both 3 and 10 end. Kingdom of heaven. In the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing is saying, look, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And in the future tense, this is what is going to be true of those who are part of the kingdom of heaven. This is why I say when you start really looking, Christ spoke of the kingdom so much. Because he wanted people to understand it is going to be in this new kingdom. 
Because it's going to be something that's going to be bigger. Listen, this thing, if you haven't figured it out, called the church is bigger than any nation. It's bigger than any race. It's bigger than any populace. It's bigger than any economic status. This kingdom transcends all of those things. Where you can have a peasant in China hear the word of God just as well as someone living up on the hill in San Francisco. And the message is to say to all of them, you need to be a part of this kingdom. You need to understand the rest of this is not going to matter in the long run. Your status, your name, what you were about, how many letters you had after your name, how many doctorates, whatever, all of that, it drops down into this place of, are you a part of the kingdom? And let me just say it as clear as I can, there's only one God in this kingdom, and it's not us. And we become subservient to that. So let's start breaking this down. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Shouldn't we be rich in spirit? Well, that should always be a hope that my spirit would grow in him. But I have to have a heart that says this. I am always in poverty and in need of him. No matter what I do, no matter how many verses I memorize, no matter how many quiet times I have, I am still in poverty and need him. I need him to sustain me. I need him to give to me. Listen to me. I need to come with my hands open saying, please, please, I need more. I am hungry. And never, till the day I die, should I be there going, yeah, spiritually, I'm full. You can come to me. I got it all. Never. And that's what he's saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs in the kingdom of heaven. It is a literally a future, it is a present future that from this moment on, what I do is I sit here and I go, God, I will never have enough of you. I will never have enough of you. Billy Graham said, if you replace the word humble with poor, it reads this way, blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That I just come in this place where I need him so desperately. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Future. Folks, we will mourn. Why? To step into the kingdom means so much loss. Now, I want to say something to you drastically. In America, we do not feel this the way the rest of the world does. I'm sorry, we just don't. I think we're moving that way where it's going to happen more. But when you go around the world and you see what is happening for those people who become Jesus, they're mourning because their families have left them. They've lost their jobs. They've lost everything to join this kingdom. And if you, listen, it is a glorious thing to find Jesus Christ, but you do mourn the loss of those who were close to you, who no longer want to spend time with you who have turned their back on you, who, by the way, had a funeral service for you because as far as they're concerned, you are dead to them. We don't experience that here in America. You can expect, go do, do whatever you want to with that Jesus thing. That's fine with you. But there are cultures around the world when you become a follower of Jesus, you are dead to your family. There is mourning in that. That's the cost they're paying to be a part of this kingdom. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. My wife and I were at a... Uh, <clears throat> At a, actually, we lived in Southern California. We brought a bunch of youth group kids up here. To, at the time, it was called Paramount's Great America. What's it, what's it called now? Christian's Great America? But back in the day, it was called Paramount's Great America. I remember we were walking around, and she saw a T-shirt, and I was holding her hand, and she squeezed I, like crazy because she was angry. You know what the angry squeeze? Because you all know there's different squeezes, right? There's the you're walking too fast squeeze. There's the, you know, whatever that is. This was I'm angry because she saw a T-shirt, that said, the meek shall inherit nothing. That's what the shirt, and she, angry squeeze. I'm like, I'm not wearing this shirt. Why are you squeezing me? <laughs> because my wife understands what that word meek means. In the world, meek means mousy and quiet and this idea of almost not, almost being this place. That's not what it means. The word meek means, the best way to describe it has ever been used, is to put a bit into the, how, into the mouth of a stallion. Meaning, a stallion, I'm sorry. Because the idea of a horse. Because it's all this power under control. Meekness. We have all this power of who God is in our lives, but we must be under what? Control. Control. Because in doing so, what we're not doing is we're not using our power to run over people. We are submitting and loving people. So it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This thing of where we can, but we don't. Paul says it this way. There are things that are beneficial to me. I mean, they're, they're, I'm sorry, that are, that are possible for me. They're just not beneficial. I hold back. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We all know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. But do we have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? That our desire is to wake up and want to be in a right relationship with him. Not my will, yours be done. To be right because in doing so, we are within his will and his purpose. Not because I want my rights because I want to be right. But I want righteousness because I want to be in relationship. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's speaking, in, and this crowd is listening in, and he's saying these things, saying, listen, this is what's going to take for you. Poor in spirit. Thirsting for righteousness. Meekness. In this place, he's saying, listen to me, pure in heart. Which, by the way, that pure in heart process, that is a daily, daily, let me say it again, daily struggle. Because my flesh wants what it wants. And it pollutes my heart in a heartbeat. Pun intended. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. To walk into situations and see that there's always this turmoil and this struggle. And yet, how do we come in to be peacemakers? 
It's difficult. It's a difficult place to be. Now remember, verse 3 starts off with this present future. And everything we've been talking about has been future tense, that we will live in this place. And God is promising that there's going to be, again, comfort We'll be called sons of God. We'll inherit the earth. This is all the truth. And what happens is we begin as those who are part of the kingdom to understand that we're not living for today. Do you understand that all that future tense stuff is that we're living for another time when all those things will be true? And it's difficult. It's really difficult because in us, we, we, we want to have things now. And God goes, no, you need to understand this is not your home. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about something greater. Your eyes should be up. You're not trying to find the things this world has to offer. The stuff this world has to offer is going to be empty. It will feel good in the moment, but it's not going to sustain you. And so we have to have this long-term concept that it's going to be, that it's going to be worth it. So I'll tell you a story about two grandmothers. Uh, <clears throat> my mom is a grandma who, by the way, if she's walking through a dollar store, uh, likes to buy whatever we call it stuff she can for her grandkids. Does that make sense? So my mom has come uh, to our house with a lot of stuff, Right? To the point that she's given our boys toys, forgot that she bought it, and then actually bought it again. Does that make sense? We're like, they have this. But when you're you're three, four, five, right, when there's a lot of stuff under the Christmas tree, that's awesome, right? Now, Jody's mom, who, by the way, her heart is about, look, her, her mom looks down the long road. And so her mom, she gave them, by the way, this is, I love this moment. She gave them savings bonds. That's hard to play with when you're three or four. So again, when you're looking at this, the, the, the young kids are like, ah, oh, Mimi, she brings, right? Grandma Jan. But here's what's funny. <laughs> our 19 and our 17-year-old right now are going, yes, Grandma Jan. Does that make sense? <laughs> they are living in the one who, by the way, had a long view. Does that make sense? Because in the long view, now there's money for things like school and all this other stuff. Now, I'm telling you, that's a hard moment when you're looking at the kids and they're opening up a savings bond in the Bible going, thanks, Grandma, right? But I will tell you what I love about Grandma Jan's heart is she goes, I'm not here for this temporary moment. I want to know they have a future. Do you hear me in that? God is telling you, listen, I could give you stuff right now. But I want to get to heaven and I want to get everything on the second part of that list. Does that make sense? I want to get that I'm a son of God. I want to get that I'd inherit the earth. I want to get the fact that God will be merciful to me. Someone say amen that I want God to be merciful to me. I need him when I get to heaven to go, Jeff, you know what you deserve? Yes, I know what I deserve. But because you show mercy, I will then give you mercy. And can I tell you at that moment, I'm going to be going, thank you. Just like my boys now, thank you. Because I don't want what I deserve. I want what he has already put in the future for me. And then it ends in verse 10. Present, future. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those right now, us, those Christians around the world who are, blessed are those who are persecuted because we get the kingdom of heaven. 
Do you see how the brackets work? So what's happening for us is that God's saying, look, I want you to be a part of the kingdom. But you're going to have to suffer here. Now that goes on. Verse 11, blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you. By the way, verse 11 and 12 is just an expansion of 10. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then it should just, blessed are you, blessed are you, because here's what the member says, blessed, blessed, blessed are those, now it's blessed are you, it's getting specific. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Do you see the long tail of this? For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If persecution comes, it's just because we are living counterculture and our culture typically attacks things that are different. It's not going to be easy. But we have to remember there's reward. But he doesn't stop at verse 12. He goes on to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, is he saying that to the crowds that are coming to be healed? No. He's saying it to his disciples, his followers. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives its light to all in the house. We have a purpose. If we choose to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, then we have a light to shine and we have a taste, a seasoning to put out into the world. That's our call. And because of that, we need to understand that that there are those who sometimes don't want the light. How many of you people need a pitch black to sleep? You love pitch black darkness. How are you people? Come on, be proud. That's me. How many of you guys need a light in the room? That'd be my wife. See, when the light comes on, I'm like, what is this nonsense? I want dark. And when we come in with light, there are people that don't want to have their stuff exposed. So light does two things at the same time. It either is a light, because by the way, when you're lost and you see a light, you are drawn to that light, right? So that's a positive side, that there are those who are lost who need to know there's light, and they will come to that light. But there's a negative side of it is, is that we then, with our light, expose other people's sin. Because of the fact that we are a light, there are those who are looking for hope who are going to find that light and be drawn to that light. But because we are a light, our light exposes other people's sin. Yeah. Because in the process, what's happening is both can be true at the same time. I understand that my life in Christ Jesus can draw and repel at the same time. There are those who desperately need, hopefully, the light that I'm offering, and there are those who honestly are repelled by it because they don't want to have their stuff exposed. Verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? Your Father, who is in heaven. 
See, my job is to do good works. And at the end, when they say, what is this about? I go, it's about my father. I only do what I see my father doing. I only do what God has asked me to do. Now, that's how Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now, by the way, if you want to keep reading all through chapter 5 and 6, it's an incredible message that he is giving to his disciples. But I want you to understand, I want to stop here because I want us to see the kingdom of heaven is for us, but it is something that's going to happen in the future. But by the way, it starts today. But I'm going to get all these rewards in the future, but I have to believe it's worth waiting for. But while I'm here, he says, I have two jobs to be salt and light. Salt and light. Now, turn to John chapter 3. Now, as soon as you hear John chapter 3, everyone knows that the big, the big verse in John, in John chapter 3 is what? 16. Now, before we get to John three sixteen, we have this concept, is that there's a guy named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus. And I want to show you something here that uh, I want us to look at. Remember, Jesus is talking about the kingdom This is going to sound like an odd conversation. One of the reasons why it's an odd conversation is that Jesus is not having a conversation with the words coming out of Nicodemus' mouth. He's having a conversation with what's going on in Nicodemus' heart. That's the problem you have when somebody who can really read your heart. Does that make sense? He doesn't have to wait for you to say it. He just has to respond to what he really sees going on in your life. That's why he's Jesus, and that's why this takes place. Watch what happens. This is verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, by the way, he's coming at night because he doesn't want his friends to see him come talk to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. How do they know that? Next line. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Remember what I say a lot about about, um, miracles. Miracles, miracles are there to support the message. Miracles are not to be miracles by themselves. They're there to support the message. Whenever Jesus would have a message, he would prove that he had the right to say that message by a miracle. And that's exactly what Nicodemus just says. By what word you're doing, we know that you have to be from God because no one could do these things unless they were from God. But we're confused. And here's why he's confused, because this message isn't what he wants to hear. What he wants to hear is, you're going to be our king, you're going to help us take over Rome, and we're going to establish Israel again. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying things like, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. And they're like, that's not what I want to hear. So, we have, so Nicodemus is in this conflict where like, we know you're from God because your miracles prove that you're from God, but the things you're saying are not what I want to hear, and because they're not what I want to hear, then I don't know what to do with you. By the way, welcome to the struggle of mankind. The struggle of mankind is I want God, but I want him to do what I want him to do, and he keeps telling me I have to do what he wants me to do, and that's the struggle. So I love this. What Nicodemus says, asks the question is, hey, we know you're from God. Look what Jesus' response is. He doesn't respond to what he says. He responds to his heart. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not what Nicodemus asked. Did you notice? Nicodemus has taken the polite way of conversation. Jesus looks in his heart and he goes, you want to know about what this kingdom is about. And so he answers him. Truly, truly. By the way, when you say truly, truly, that's like for sure, for sure. Okay? And by the way, anytime that Jesus says truly, truly, I'm going to tell you I pretty much believe it's true. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the what? Kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is going, I didn't ask that. I was thinking that, but I didn't ask that. Because that's what he wants to know. What's this new kingdom? But the problem is he wants an earthly kingdom, and Jesus is giving him a heavenly kingdom. Do you understand the, the conflict? Nicodemus is looking here. God's up here. He goes, by the way, to get up here, you got to be born again. Nicodemus, uh, um, Nicodemus answers. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I really hope not. Because he says born again. And so Nicodemus is going, born again? What do you mean? I, mean I, I, I don't. Jesus answers. Jesus answered, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is where we're at. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and says, listen, you're missing it. Nicodemus, you think it's bloodline and you think it's birthright. It's not. You think it's about doing good acts and and living a good life and, 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 and being worthy. It's not. Let me say this. I had nothing to do with my birth. It just happened to me. I was swimming around, having a great time. And then, bam! And I came out screaming and crying because this is a scary world. Had nothing to do with it. And this is what he says, unless you're born again, and you're born of the Spirit, then you get the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is struggling, and then we get to 316. For God so loved the what? Let me tell you what Nicodemus bristled at. Nicodemus wanted to hear, for God so loved the Jews. I know that you don't hear that because you're not from a Jewish background. You don't hear why that would be something where Nicodemus doesn't hear that. When it says, when Jesus goes, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus for sure thought he was going to say, for God so loved the Jews. Jesus is changing the story. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, which, by the way, is me, is what Jesus is saying. Whoever believes, right? He's looking at Nicodemus going, the game is about to change. And there's a new kingdom coming, and it isn't about this earth, and it isn't about this world. It is about me getting as many of my kids coming to a new kingdom and a new way of life. And by the way, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed, blessed, blessed. But I cannot get those things here. You know what I get here? I get persecution here, but I get the kingdom at the end. Folks, we are a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And our job is to go out and get as many of those people, not from the Jews, but from the what? World. And tell them that Jesus 
was sent by his heavenly father to pay the price for them, and they too can be blessed. That's what we're doing with the kingdom. Cedars is a small part and a bigger picture to a world that needs him. May we play our part well, but listen to me, we're not the end game. Our home churches are not the end game. You know what the end game is? You and me reaching into our inner circles and loving them. That's the end game. He called you to reach those who you can reach. Yes, you bring them to a home church, or yes, you bring them back to Cedars, and hopefully we build them up and we help them and restore them, but the idea is they go back and love the people they're supposed to love. The end game is we're all a part of this kingdom. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what Bible study you go to. Are you reaching people for his kingdom? That's what it's about. And for that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, may we be about your kingdom. Not about your church, about your kingdom. May we use the church for its purpose. May we use those around us to be able to, to share gospel into their lives. May we encourage the believers. May we draw like a light those who are searching. And may we be aware that our light is going to be an offense to others. But Father, I know that you have said that one day in the future, I get all of these blessings. I get all of these blessings. And so Father, I don't look to today. I look to a day in which I stand next to to you, and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, please, please, please help this church to see beyond its walls to a greater kingdom and to a greater purpose than just what happens in this room on a Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen.